dear listeners, and welcome to the latest edition of Extra Extra. It's all about whiskey. I'm your host, as always, Jason Johnston Yellen, the Whiskey Wizard. I'm joined, and it is a pleasure to see his face this early in the week. I am joined, of course, by Joshua Hatton, the Whiskey Cherub. Those curls are looking luscious. Welcome to Extra Extra, Joshua. Whose house? The Whiskey Wizard's house. Whose house? The Whiskey Wizard's house. It's your house today. This is your podcast. Just, I just <laughs> want everybody to know. Thank you. Thank you for that clarification. On <laughs> uh, Extra Extra, hopefully our dear listeners enjoyed a slightly different Extra Extra the last time out where we had an interview for the April Fool's, April 1st release of the Westland auction, which we are excited to participate in when that goes live. Mm-hmm. But today we're back to the usual setup. Uh, this week it's Joshua's turn to bring a whiskey story to my attention. He'll read it through the first half of this episode, and then we'll riff on it in the second half, and then we'll try and get out of here in a tight 30, a tight 35. You know, sometimes we enjoy the conversation with one another, and we hang around for a few extra minutes. It's true. We shall see what today holds. What are you bringing to our attention today, Joshua? It's true, Jason. All of it. The article begins. Wine and spirit supplier Chatham Imports, producer of the American whiskey brand Michter's, will co-own the global trademark rights to the Mescal brand as part of the deal. The venture will be led by the brand's founders, Julio and Eduardo Maestra, I hopefully I pronounced that correctly, M-E-S-T-R-E, I think that's Maestra, but I could be wrong, uh, who launched Los Siete Misterios in 2010. Matt Magliocco, executive vice president of Chatham, added, quote, I have been friends with Julio and Eduardo for years, and from the very first day we met, I have admired their commitment to producing superb Oaxaca mezcal ethically and responsibly. Since founding Los Siete Misterios in 2010, Julio, Eduardo, and their team have done a remarkable job establishing one of the world's greatest mezcals and have earned a well-deserved reputation as leaders in our industry. And that's the end of the quote. Okay. The deal will see New York City headquartered Chatham become the exclusive global sales and marketing agent for Los Siete Misterios, excluding Mexico, where the founders will remain responsible for sales and production in the country. Julio, the CEO of Los Siete Misterios, said, quote, We have known Matt. Magliocco and his family for years and have been following what they have achieved with Michters internationally and the great job that they have done. Julio continues, we couldn't think of a better partner to help us take Los Siete Misterios to the next level. Both companies have the same values and each of us share the passion to produce the best spirits in our respective categories. The deal marks Chatham's first move into agave spirits. Los Siete Misterios range includes core bottling Doballe, Espadín, Baril, Mexicano, Coyote, 
Araqueño, Tobala, and Pechuga. And for those of mm. you that are not aware, those names for the most part are all agave style. You know, those are sp- specific agave names with the exception of Pechuga, which is a nod to the fact that they'll quite often put a like a, a chicken breast in the still that will dissolve during the the yeah. distillation process. But Dobaye, I actually looked into this a little bit and Dobaye and, and I don't know <laughs> I don't know if I'm pronouncing it properly. It's D O B A Doba. That's that seems pretty straightforward. And Y E J. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't know, but mm-hmm. but that but that yeah, also that's out. also an espadine bottling. So okay. they've got two differing espadine bottlings. Anyway, Magliocco added, "quote The brand's preeminent status in Mexico City's renowned bars and restaurant is a testament to Los Siete Misterios' reputation and credibility at home." He continues. For Chatham, Los Siete Misterios exemplifies all the qualities that we value in a brand and aligns perfectly with our existing portfolio. And then he he ends off the article. We cannot wait to bring Los Siete Misterios to more people in the United States and around the world. And so as i was reading through that obviously this this is this is a pr piece that the spirits business had had put up but i brought it to the well i brought it to your attention and to the attention of the listeners because i thought it was quite interesting to have a bourbon company purchase a mezcal company well let's circle back to that in the second half took a very short musical interlude. You were saying there's something interesting about a, a bourbon producer taking a, a 50-50 stake in a mezcal producer here. Do you want to say more about that? I do. It, you know, when I think about mezcal as a spirit and the people who are coming to mezcal, quite often it's there's a lot of mezcal now being used in cocktails, right? So you can understand bartenders would want to have access to it. And, and obviously, you know, the, the people that own Michter's, they're good business people who see an opportunity and, and you know, they want to make a deal with the right company. And, 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 I, and I get all of that. But when I think of the consumer coming to mezcal, I find a lot of Scotch whiskey drinkers coming to Mescal because of that. Even though most Scotch whiskey is not smoky, those that drink Scotch whiskey tend to have some sort of an appreciation for a, a smoky or peaty quality, even if it's just a little bit. Where, typically speaking, the bourbon palate is... It's a far cry from a mezcal palate and, and, you know, and a, and a scotch whiskey palate. And so I found this to be almost like the, a pairing of an odd couple. 
Well, you tend to see the rum crossover. Yeah, you from do. bourbon yeah, drinkers do. or yeah. an Armagnac crossover. Yeah, with the bourbon drinkers. Yeah, it, my takeaway in in hearing about this was you can see the next rise in the market, mm. right? And so, even though they are Chatham behind Michters who are bourbon, I think. And it's interesting here that you talk about these these odd bedfellows. I don't know if they have anything in common with one another, aside from there was a time at which bourbon started to trend upwards mm-hmm. and it's trending upwards hard. And we know that mezcal is trending upwards, mm-hmm. but it's still in the beginning. Right now, if you're paying attention across the industry, you're seeing much more about tequila and the number of celebrities with tequila brands, Michael Jordan, The Rock, you know, you, you could go on there. Uh, obviously, George Clooney famously yeah, sold yeah, his yeah. Uh, a, a few years ago, a couple For of years ago. a billion dollars or something like yeah, that? Right, Some ridiculous right, yeah. amount Seven, of money. 700 million guaranteed, and then depending on sales, the deal could close at a billion. Wow. Um, wow. So, so tequila is certainly getting the press, mm-hmm. But we know that agave is coming. We know that mezcal is coming. And so and so I, I thought it was just a, a smart business deal, really, regardless of what they're already doing with bourbon. And if you listen in that release there, one of the quotes from one of the original founders was saying, we have watched what this company has done with Michter's globally, mm-hmm. Right that's showing their knowledge of industry. And by this, I mean how Michter's has been handled, where it has appeared. Mm. And, it was, and it was interesting because you, you seem to be suggesting earlier that, that Michter's has done very well in the on-premise, in bars and restaurants. Well, they definitely have done well in bars and restaurants, but... I, I I don't know if they've done better in bars and restaurants than they have on retail. I mean, when it comes to retail, Michter's is highly sought after, you know, with their Toasted Oak series. The rye is absolutely delicious. Their 10-year-olds, both the bourbon and rye, when you can find it, lovely little whiskeys, really hard to get. And, you know, unfortunately, quite often purchased and then flipped on some sort of secondary page or whatever. But you can understand why. It's delicious. It's absolutely delicious bourbon. So here we've got Chatham. And they, am I right in saying they're the sole owners of Michter's? Correct. But they're also an importer, so they will have a portfolio beyond Michter's. 100%. Yep. Yeah, they have some vodkas in their portfolio and a bunch of other things. Yep. So with this 50% stake in Mezcal, they are going to be going to distributors, as they have done, Mm -hmm. and pitching their bourbon, their Mezcal, the rest of their portfolio. How does an importer do that when they're owner of one and part owner of another, but then just a representative of the other aspects of their portfolio? That's a really interesting question. And to be honest, I I don't know that I have the answer to that. But, 
you know, in thinking about this acquisition or, or the, the 50% uh, ownership in this, I like your question because it highlights the fact that, you know, they're, they're not just an owner of a bourbon brand. They are a company that has a portfolio of varying spirits for them to sell. And obviously, Mescal is a whole that many distributors, importers, etc. you know, that's a hole that we would want to fill as an importer or distributor to have this broader portfolio because you send your salespeople out on the street and you hit a bar and you say, you know what, I, I have this Mictors, you want to buy this? And they say, you know what, the three other bars on my street have Mictors. I don't want that. What else do you have? <laughs> and then you say, well, I, I, have the, I have this mezcal or I have this vodka or, I, you know, or whatever. So I get it, right? It's, it's another tool in a spirit salesperson's toolbox. Yeah, so I, so I don't know how to answer your question really, but, but I, what I liked about your question to me is I was trying to figure out why did they want to have this 50% stake in this company, and I forgot that they had their own portfolio that they need to look after. I'm, trying, I'm still trying to fully understand here so chatham owns the trademarks to this mezcal globally and distribution but not in mexico for mictors are they in charge of production at mictors or are they in charge of the brands the trademarks with mictors globally that's an excellent question so they own the brand mictors and for years Mictors, and, and they still do, they're sourcing their product quite a lot, but they started distilling a few years back as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they're in charge of the brand, they're in charge of the contracts that they have to acquire the liquid they use to fill the bottles, and they're in charge of distilling as well. Hmm. Okay, because the, the, the corollary Ooh. for me and Scotch was... Edrington being in charge of Glenrothes, but Berry Brothers and Rudd, an independent bottler based out of London, controlling the brand. And uh, that's no longer the case. Correct. But that's what was going through my mind and I wanted to get to the bottom of for Michters and Chatham. Mm-hmm. And then knowing that that's essentially the relationship they're going to have with the Mezcal mm-hmm. outside of Mexico going forward. So I, I was just trying to get that clear in my own mind. Yeah. You know, the, the thing that has me nervous, not just about this acquisition, but just in general, as Mescal becomes more and more popular, mm-hmm. is that category of spirit is not prepared for the pending popularity that it's about to receive or the, the pending notice it's about to receive, not, not just through, through this and, and what Chatham is going to be doing through the brand, but this is just one of many brands that are going to get noticed and are going to find, you know, this liquid's going to find its way into many glasses and into many cocktails and onto many barbacks and et cetera. And when I say they're not ready, you know, the tequila industry 
is definitely ready. It's huge. And they cultivate blue agave. And there's some that's made cheaply that's just for cocktails. There's some that's made not so cheaply that's made for sipping. But mezcal has always been this smaller category. And their bottleneck is going to be the plant itself. Right? Yep. Even the espadine plants typically require at least seven years of age for that before they can harvest that plant. And if these producers are forced to just produce, 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 they're going to get to a point where they're running out of plant to use to make their agave or they're forced into a position where they're going to use younger plants, they're going to give them less yield, maybe not better flavors. You're going to see the quality go down. So, and, you, and the consumer is going to see the price per bottle go up because of, of supply and demand issues. And, and so as excited as I am for Chatham and for the mezcal category writ large, because I, you know, you and I, I think, agree, mezcal is just as beautiful and complex and delicious as Scotch whiskey is just from a different standpoint. People are going to discover this and it could it, it, it could be really harmful to that to that industry. Well and <laughs> to be clear, these comments exist completely outside this Chatham announcement. Oh, 100%. This is a, this 100%. Is a, and you said it a moment ago, I, I just want to reiterate, this is a conversation you and I have been having for a couple of years, if not a few years, as we've been watching the rise of interest in Mezcal, and we include ourselves among that number. Mm-hmm. It is a question of what is the way forward for Mezcal? What will growth look like? What will harvesting look like? What will the rewards for the producers look like? These are all very real questions we've asked about this category. And I wonder if we'll start to see an advanced understanding of the category and subcategories where we move outside of the nine regions Mm. that are known for their mezcal production. And we start to see a wider discussion of Sotol and Ricea. Right? And we start to to move outside of the nine known states where Oaxaca is the most well-known of the nine. Mm -hmm. And I could see that potentially alleviating some of the pressure on growth and harvest. So are you suggesting, well, it didn't sound like you're suggesting this, but (laughs) but let let me add another wrinkle to this. Like you'd said, right? There's nine states within Mexico that are allowed to produce a spirit that can be called mezcal. Yep, and carry the little hologram sticker. Right. Now, the country itself has 32 states. And so yep. you have 23 other states that are producing 
agave spirits in the same manner that mescal is produced using similar agaves processes, you know, the whole thing, very similar, but they're not allowed to call it mescal. Yep. Do you see a potential of <laughs> mescal brands getting together to try to extend extend past the nine states, right? Can, can, can they make it 11 states? Can they make it 15 states? No, I don't foresee that. Okay. But I think if you're a region that's known for Bacanora, I think, and, and you know, clearly there are already mezcal and agave nerds who are way deep in this and know everything we're talking about. <laughs> Far more than and, what we're talking and about. And more, too. yeah, and more. <laughs> yeah. But, if, but just like with any other category, once you dip your toe and you find you have an interest, you want to see how far you can push that interest. And so tequila, Michael Jordan, The Rock, George Clooney, right? If you start to get into agave through that and you start to get interested, you may then say, well, hey, there's also this mezcal produced in nine states. I'm going to go explore that. I'm going to learn mm. about the producers in these nine states. And then you're going to get to a point where you say, whoa, there's this thing called Bacanora, which is also agave, which is also espadine, which is also produced in the same way, but they're just simply not allowed to call it mezcal because they're not one of the nine states. I'm going to go explore Bacanara and then Ricea and then Sotol. And so on one hand, I think it behooves, <laughs> I'm going to say everyone, but I don't know if that's entirely accurate. But I think it, it behooves those who want to, 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 to grow within this category to be telling consumers what else is there. For example... Again, the whiskey corollary, that is all I can really think of. If you're a Speyside producer, it behooves you to talk about the rest of the Highlands. It behooves you to talk about the Western Highlands, and it behooves you to talk about some of the islands, right? You grow the category. That's, that's where I think continued interest comes from. And if we're talking about nine states producing mezcal, but potentially running into growth and harvesting issues, then it, you know, it serves everyone's interest to get consumers looking wider than that. Explore Mexico, don't just explore Oaxaca. I think that's, to me, that would be a good idea. And I may be right and I may be wrong. I may get in trouble for saying this. Classic. But I feel as if you're giving both the consumer and marketing companies a bit too much credit. You and I think about spirits in a very different way. When we hear about something, we get interested, we want to dig deeper. Most people don't. There are people that have been drinking McAllen for 10 years and continue to call it McClellan's. They love McClellan's. That's what they drink, right? 
I'm not knocking them. My point is they like what they like, and that's what they're going to drink. They don't want to investigate further. So let's say you get someone who has this sort of mentality of, I discovered mezcal, this is what I like, and then they're introduced to something called ricea, which is, for all intents and purposes, <laughs> it's mezcal, but it can't be called mezcal because it's not in one of those states. How are you going to get that consumer to make that connection and believe the story? And so that's that's roadblock number one. Roadblock number two, marketeers, marketers, whatever you call them, are notorious in the spirits industry for not necessarily making the story clear. Mm-hmm. And I, that, that makes me, that makes me nervous. So everything you said, it just, it seems like you're giving them too much credit, too much power. But here's, here's why, here's why I like to do that is because if you think about the history of chill filtration in the Scotch whiskey industry, some producers just decided, look, we can educate the consumer to a point where they will buy a cloudy bottle. So let's just remove the cloud causing bits and bobs, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Let's let's chill filter. Let's take the lipids out. But then you had a number of producers who came along after that and said, well, partly we could do 46% alcohol and we wouldn't have to chill filter, mm-hmm. but we'd have to tell the consumer why we're doing 46% and we'll put on our labels non-chill filtered will draw attention to this. And then you can take somebody like Compass Box who have the Glasgow blend at 43% and it's non-chill filtered, mm-hmm. right? There is a chance that bottling could go a little bit cloudy in, in cooler temperatures. Mm-hmm. But Compass Box, as a producer with a marketing department, at least a marketing desk, have <laughs> have gone down the path of educating consumers. Yeah. And for me... If you take blended scotch and you put it next to single malt scotch and then you put that to independently bottled single casks, which you and I know a thing or two about, I think you can do the same with tequila and mezcal and into ricias and into bacanoras, where if you go out to educate, you will find consumers. They will find you. And so keep offering up information. Are people going to buy their George Clooney, you know, tequila and stick with it? Yeah, cool. Tickety-boo. Are other consumers going to move away from that path and go down other avenues of, of investigation? Absolutely. Let's let's be there for them. Let's educate them. I'm always going to fall on the side of giving more information rather than less. I see what you're saying and I see the point you're trying to make. However, for as much work as various distilleries and blending companies like Compass Box have done to educate the consumer about 46% alcohol, non-chill filtration, no caramel coloring added, there's still around 90% of the whiskey drinking community that have not heard that. And then let's focus on the 10% that may have heard that they 
still need to be reminded and reminded and reminded and reminded. And here we are. You know, I remember hearing about non-chill filtration 15 years ago. And I'm still, you know, you and I will do seminars and we say, (laughs) all right, let's talk about chill filtration. Raise your hand if you've heard of chill filtration and you'll be on a Zoom call with, with 30 people and maybe five of them. Ten of them have heard of chill filtration, if you're lucky. <laughs> right? Well, let me, I want to speak to your groups. <laughs> but, but you see my point. The education, we're 15 years in, and probably even longer than that. Would the mescal industry just have an easier time ramping up cultivation of espadine rather than ramping up the education, which is going to be huge on Mescal. They're still fighting this perception that they are the cheap, crappy tequila with a dead worm in it, right? Yeah, no, oh, no there's, there's definitely, a, there's always a lot of work to do. There, there always is. But then I, I'm, you know, now you've got me thinking of farmed salmon and wild salmon, right? We see this conversation with Mescal, right? wild agave, farmed agave, mm-hmm. right? Which agaves can be um, grown, I was going to say grown in captivity. I don't <laughs> think that's quite how it's phrased. My wife's a wildlife ecologist. You can tell the types of These agaves we were have. grown in, a, in captivity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, these roam wild. They roam the plains. <laughs> they have a migration cycle. Um but but you do see that, that you know the, the conversation is had between what does wild agave bring to the table, how much older does it need to be, how much more expensive is a bottle. Consumers are going to have to be educated, no matter, no matter what. what. No matter what. And yep. just like with farmed and wild salmon, the education never ends. It just goes through peaks and troughs when people get behind it and people don't get behind it and swings and roundabouts. So, you know, if, if we're going to lambast the big boys in Scotch for not continually trying to educate consumers about cloudy bottles, then I'm going to lambast producers in other categories for not saying more about their own products as well. I, I still think we need to just keep giving the consumer as much information as agreed, possible. Agreed, agreed 100%. Whether they'll hear it or not is another story, but it has to be out there. Okay, we have we have wandered quite far from the announcement of Chatham <laughs> uh, getting in bed uh, with uh, Mezcal Siete Mysterioso, or Los, Los Siete Mysterios. But here we are. This has been extra, extra. We do implore you, drop us an email, questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com if there's a new story that you've seen that you'd like to hear us chit-chat about. And other than that, go in peace. Spread education. Mm. Be your best self. <laughs> what are these words you're throwing at people? Go in peace. Spread, ed- spread education. Do unto others. I have been... I have been the Whiskey Wizard. He has been the Whiskey Cherub. We're out of here. Until next time. See you then. Cheers, dear listeners. And cheers, Joshua. Cheers, Jason. Well,
So the article, yeah. So the article, nah. <laughs> Fuck's sake. I know, I know, I know. Take a breath. <laughs> <laughs> red leather, yellow leather, red <laughs> yellow leather. 